will welcome everyone. You guys can have a seat. We are so glad that you are here in person, online. We are glad that you guys are here. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus, meaning we want to help you follow Jesus, take whatever the next step is, and for you in turn to help others, because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. Um, we want to get to know you if you're new. So if you're newish to our church, go to risedenver.com slash new. Fill out that new form. And not only does it give us a chance to get to know you, but we give $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission, okay? You don't get some fancy mug from us, but we'll help somebody in need. Sound good? You guys ready for to start a new series today? Let's do it. Save for Let me tell you guys something. You aren't just saved from sin and death when you come to Jesus. You are saved for a purpose. Okay, good. You guys are a little more awake than first service. Man, these guys were dead today. I need some energy from you. Can you give me that? Okay, yeah. Okay, 1045, right. We are not just saved from sin and death. We are saved for a purpose. That God has called us to love our neighbors, to serve others around us. He has called us and saved us for something. And that's what this series is all about. In fact, I want to dive straight into Scripture. You guys with me? Is that okay? We're going to dive straight in right away. If you have your Uvision Bible app, you can get there. We're going to look first at Titus. I want you guys to see um, where the idea of this entire series comes from. Titus 3, 5. He has saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We love that. It's not anything we do. Jesus does everything for us. He gives us this gift of eternal life. He gives us in mercy. He saves us from sin. And he says in verse 8, I want to stress these things. Paul is writing to this young pastor, Titus, saying, stress these things. And me as a young pastor, I'm saying, I'm going to stress these things for you, okay? What is it? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. We're not just saved from sin. We are saved for good. You guys get that? A couple weeks ago, I sold something on Facebook Marketplace and the guy, he had a Nebraska license plate, so I started talking to him, you know, there's a little bridge right there making this connection. And then um, I, I, it came up that I was a pastor, and he immediately apologized for cussing. <laughs> this happens to me a lot, okay? If you're in my line of profession, you get that a lot. And I was like, oh, I didn't even notice, um, but okay. Um, but that's how it goes, because people are like, oh, yeah, when you become a Christian, you got to stop cussing, right? You're saved from cussing. Right? That, that's what it is. Some of you are like, uh-oh, I still haven't gotten that. Um, yeah, but it's like, okay. But it's not that we're just saved from an wholesome talk that comes out of our mouth. We're also saved for words that will build others up. To speak words of encouragement and hope in a world that's full of despair. Okay, it's not just saved from the bad. It's saved for the good. You guys tracking with me? I want to show you one more place. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8. We love this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Oh, we love that, right? Saved not because of yourself. You're saved from sin, saved from death. Yes, but what does he say in verse 10? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not just saved from sin. We are saved for good. There's supposed to be a change inside of us, not just to stop doing all the bad stuff, stop the cussing, stop looking at porn, stop all that bad stuff that you might be doing. It's like, yes, we need to do that, but we also need to start doing the good things for others, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We are saved for a purpose, and that's what this series is about. I want you to imagine a scenario that you are taking all your old junk, you got some, you're taking it to the dump, and as you drive up to drop it off in the dunk, dump, out there in the dump, you see this brand new, Jeep Wrangler. It looks good. Brand new. 
It's got the hard top. It's got a lift. And you ask the people working there, you're like, what is that Jeep doing out there? Is that one of your guys'? They're like, no, somebody just dumped it off here. You'd be like, what? Can I take it, right? And you take it. You rescue. You save that Jeep from destruction, right? Okay, wow. And then you take it home and you put it in your garage. And you look at it. And when people come over, you're like, check out this. Let me tell you the story about how I saved this Jeep. Do you know what they're going to ask you? Have you taken it out? Right? I, I have a friend that just got a brand new Jeep. And this week I saw it. I'm like, wow, that's cool and shiny. Have you taken it out? You want to know, have you hit the trails with this thing? Have you gone off-roading? Like, have you taken this Jeep out for what it was made for, right? You don't just want to save the Jeep from destruction. You want to save it for a purpose, right? That Jeep needs to get out there and hit the trails. Okay, how much more so we human beings? We're not just saved from sin. God doesn't just want to snatch us from the the grip of death and, 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 and Satan. He wants to save us for a purpose, to do good, to change our world, to transform our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our city, our world. We are saved for a purpose. And we need to talk about that. That's what this series is all about. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how we are saved for something, not just saved from something. So this series is going to be four weeks, and I don't care if you're not a Christian or this is your first time or you're just checking us out online, I want you to commit to this four-week series. Four weeks, it gives you an idea of, of what this great purpose is that God has called us to, but it's also going to give you a good idea of who we are as a church, okay? In four weeks, you can get a pretty good glimmer of who we are, so I want you to commit to this. If you're a regular, for sure commit to this, okay? I talk with somebody who's like expecting a baby, and they're like, we're going to do our best. I'm like, okay, even if you can't be here in person, right? You're going to join online. You're going to worship weekly. You can subscribe on YouTube right now. Subscribe on your podcast app because you're going to want to be here and commit to this entire four-week series so that you can see that God has saved you for something even greater. He saved you for. So today, we're going to kick it off with a message I've entitled, Get Out of Your Head. Okay, I was going to put your head, but I'm too white for that. Get out of your head. Get out of your head, Okay. It's the title of the series. You know, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been, in the last five weeks, we've been doing this series called Brainwashed, as how God has told us to take every thought captive for Christ. And even though we have anxieties and, and that internal critic, and we have anger and depression and sadness and all this stuff going on in our head, we need to learn, hey, okay, we gotta take those thoughts captive and be washed and renewed, okay? It's been a powerful series. I've had probably more feedback, positive feedback for this series than any other series I've ever given. So I hope it's helped you. If you missed any of those, you can go back and listen to those on, at a right Denver.com slash media. Um, but I, I almost was like, hey, we need a sixth message. And then that sixth message now has transformed into a whole series. Okay, so we're starting a new series. So you could kind of think of this as Brainwash Part 6, even though it's Save 4 Part 1, okay? Because I was like, man, one of the things that happens is we so focus on those thoughts we have, and you can really focus it. I'm like, am I taking every thought captive? Like, what about this thought? And, oh, I thought I dealt with that, and now it's coming back. And what can happen is we get stuck in our own heads, And we need to learn to get out of your head, okay? Out of your head. We need to learn to get out of your head. And that's what this message is about today. Because it's so important that we actually get out. And sometimes we're like, I want to get healed. I want to get better. I want everything fixed in my head. But actually, before we can get there, and sometimes maybe we never get fully there, but even in the midst of our hurting... In the midst of the mess that sometimes our brains are, we still are called to go out and help others. So today we're going to learn to use your hurt to help others. 
Pretty simple. Use your hurt to help others. In fact, some of those messed up things going on in your head, it's in my head too, can actually help the most when we share those and use those to help other people around us. So that's what we're going to learn today. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's going to be our main passage we're going to look at. We're really going to focus on verses 3 and 4, but we're going to jump around a little bit um, throughout this passage. Um, so let's look at verse 8 too. I know I'm going out of order, but I want to start in verse 8 so you kind of have an idea of what's going on. In verse 8, Paul says, writing with Timothy, who's kind of his apprentice, a young pastor who would go out to pastor a church. So Paul and Timothy are writing to this Corinthians that are early followers of Jesus in the first century, and he says in verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. So there, there in modern-day Turkey and, and kind of the Middle East, Southeast, Southwest Asia, and there they are planting churches, leading people to follow Jesus for the very first time, and they're in some troubles. We were under, they say in verse 8, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, verse 9, they say, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, people always try to like figure out what is going on for Paul that he feels this overwhelmed. And it could be that he received persecution, that people opposed him when he was trying to bring the good news of Jesus Christ that he got arrested, that he got beaten, that they threw rocks at him and left him for dead, and he got back up, that he was shipwrecked, that he was beaten, that he was thrown in prison. All these bad things happened that are physical things that happened to Paul. But what he says is like what's going on internally. That's why I wanted to emphasize this. He says that we uh, were under great pressure and far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. I think it's so interesting. Some of you think it's in the Bible that God won't give you anything beyond you can handle. That's actually not in the Bible. Here you read, God will give us something more than we can handle. That's what Paul experienced. In fact, sometimes it's when you get to the end of yourself, then you get to the beginning of God. Okay? And so that's what Paul is experiencing here. He's at the end of himself. He despaired of life. Indeed, he says he felt like he had received the sentence of death. Now, history tells us that Paul may have been beheaded later. So he did receive a death sentence at some point. But he says, we felt, did you read that? We felt we were on the sentence of death. If he actually had a death sentence, he'd say that. It just felt like his life was over. Things were so bad that he didn't even want to go on living. So whatever it was that he was experiencing, it was bad. And some of you are at that point. You feel despair. You feel like not going on. You feel like, what's the point in living? Will things ever get better? And guess what? Paul knows what you're going through. But when he went through that, what does he do with it? Look back now at verse 6. If we are distressed, if we're under anxieties, if we're feeling this pressure, it is for your comfort and salvation. All the worst things that are happening to me, Paul says, this feeling that I'm overwhelmed, my brain, how it's all messed up. It's like I am feeling this and experiencing it so that I can help you. See what he's doing? He's giving us his example, a model for us, that we must use our hurt to help others. You know, sometimes I have conversations with people, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, a little bit more formal and counseling, sometimes not. But when I'm, I'm talking with someone, and, and they've gone through some stuff, they've had some trials, they've had some trauma, they're in the midst of awful stuff in their lives. 
You know, we, we talk about it, we look at the scripture, we, we deal with it, and, and sometimes like two, three weeks, or we, we talked for a while, and then after a little while, I, I always ask them a question. And it's a really tough question, but I have to ask people. Because there can come this state where people are like, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. They, they're stuck in their head. And their life is way worse than what I'm going through. I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. But I ask them a question, I say, where are you serving others? It's a tough question to ask when you're really down in the dumps, when you're despairing and when you just want to lie in bed. Some of you are watching right now because you couldn't even get up this morning. And you're like, I don't want to do anything. My life sucks. I need help. Yes, you do. That's what that whole brainwash series was about. I was hope that I can help you a little bit through God's word. But you can't stay there. You can't. We have to ask ourselves, where am I serving others? Where am I helping others? And one of the best ways to do that is actually to look at my hurt and how can my hurt help others? And that's exactly what Paul is going to do and model and teach us to do. I love it. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. There's something amazing that happens that when we realize I am hurt, yes, it's true. Bad stuff. But it's for others' help. It's for others' help. Viktor Frankl is the famous psychiatrist and he had studied, um, you know, he had studied people into, in the 1930s that were suicidal. He wanted to figure out how can I actually help these people. He came up with a theory, but then he actually had to put it into practice himself when he was arrested because he was a Jew living in Germany in the 1940s. And when he immediately got put into the concentration camp, his father was killed. His mom and his brother um, were gassed at one of the chambers at Dachau. And then um, shortly after, his wife died of disease. So he lost everyone. And he started to, to like look at his own life about how awful it was. Forced hard labor. And he describes in his book that became a bestseller, Man's Search for Meaning, he describes how one day when he was marching out with a company of fellow soldiers so that they can go perform hard labor out a, a few miles march, that he just thought about how bad his life was, how much his feet hurt and were sore because his shoes didn't fit anymore. And then he was thinking, maybe I could find one little piece of wire so that it could be my shoelace on my shoe so I could feel better. I wish I could just find a wire. And then he was thinking about having no food to eat and maybe he could trade his one cigarette for a bowl of soup. And he thought, maybe I could get transferred so I could work in the camp, and maybe it'll be easier, but, but what if the next guy I get transferred to is even meaner? Like, he, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place, and his life of misery got worse and worse inside his head. And then he said he had this moment where he almost saw himself in the third person. That he kind of left himself and started thinking uh, in the future. He saw himself in a lecture hall lecturing other medical students about the psychiatry and the psychology of the prison camps. About how he could pass on what he had learned and observed firsthand about living through some of the worst situations of life and to be able to pass on to other students what he had learned. And he said in that moment, he was able to transcend and get out of that suffering that he was experiencing because he knew that it could have a purpose to help others. And he started to observe that all around him, that there would be some people that would despair to life. And some people in the same situation would give their last piece of bread to help another person. And they were the ones who made it. 
Same situation that everybody faced, and yet there was two different mindsets for how to approach what was going on. And he realized, he quotes the words of Nietzsche, that those who have a why to live for can live through almost any how. But we need that purpose. And so that's what I'm trying to tell you. The hurt, the suffering you've had in your life, the trauma you have experienced is for a purpose. And it's beyond yourself. And until you can start seeing that, you are going to get stuck in your own head. But once you can realize, actually, maybe even the hurt I have experienced can help someone else, man, it's going to help you move forward. Modern psychological studies have proven the same thing. There's been a bunch of studies that have just uh, studied people who volunteer their time compared to those who don't. So those who are willing to volunteer are not. So the, uh, by nature, those people are not doing something for themselves, right? They're helping another person, volunteering. And those who are willing to give some of their life to volunteer are much more likely to be healthy, to live longer, have more happiness, and those same people are way less lonely. It's interesting, right? The people who realize, okay, if my life is for someone else, their life is better in return. When you get out of your own head, it helps your own head, okay? You tr tracking with me? When you help others, you yourself can be healed in the process. And it's not like everything is fixed. It's not. But all of a sudden, when you live outside yourself for other people, and my hurt can help other people, it makes even the hurting not as bad. And you can move on to something better. So we're going to see in our verse, we're really going to focus on verses 3 and 4. I know we're already halfway through the message. We haven't even gotten to our passage. But, but we're going to see here two different things about why this works. And the first one is that hurting connects us to the comforter. Connects us to the comforter. Look in verse 3 with me of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. This is really different start than almost all the other letters Paul writes. He always like thanks God for something specific about the recipients. Here he's like, I want to tell you about how great God is at comforting me. He's the Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. He is the God who at the moments that you're at your worst, crying on your knees, you're despairing to life itself, that he can give you even a sense of comfort and hope in that moment. Some of you have experienced that. It's a peace that transcends understanding, a hope that doesn't make sense. And that's that direct comfort from God, but sometimes God sends us comfort in different ways. He's the God of all comfort, and every good and perfect gift comes from above. So God sends us other people that can encourage us and comfort us. Have you ever had the comforter that comes at the right moment? To just give you a hug, to speak words of encouragement to you, to love you? I mean, God's the God of all good and perfect gifts. He even brings us chicken noodle soup sometimes, right? All those things are ways that God comforts us, and there's so many more. In Isaiah 66, 13, God speaks about himself. Get this. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Interesting, right? The father of all compassion. Okay, here's the thing. God isn't really gendered, okay? Jesus told us to call him our father in heaven, so we should. He's the father of all compassion. And yet also God says, I'm like a mother. You remember mom when she comforted you? Hugged you, loved you. I see Melissa do it with our kids all the time. I'm like, I would just want to wring their necks sometimes, and she's there hugging them. That's what a mom does, right? That's why we celebrated him last week. Okay, that's what God says he is like. 
that he is like a mother comforting his children. He wants to pick you up in his arms and love you. He's the God of all comfort. And when we are hurting, we get to experience that comfort for ourselves. Jesus says one of the main ways that actually happens is through the Holy Spirit. There's an interesting thing in this passage. The word comfort occurs again and again in this short section. And that word comfort is a Greek word, paraklesis. And that word is um, the same root, very similar to what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in John 16, 7. The paraclete. Okay, look at this in John 16, 7. I want you guys to see this. Um, connection, and you can see it in this translation. It says, but the fact of the matter, Jesus says, is that it is best for you that I go away. For if I don't, the comforter, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do, he will, for I will send him to you. Sometimes that's translated as advocate, our helper, the one who comes alongside us. That's the paraclete, the comforter. The Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And he will be there with you at all times to help you, to comfort you, to be your advocate, your encourager. God gives you his spirit to be inside of you at all times. Do you realize that? When you were at your worst, the comforter is inside of you right then. He is with you if you are a follower of Jesus. And he never leaves you. He indwells inside of you. Some of you need to just feel that Holy Spirit again and know he's there. I'm telling you in your head, he's there with you at every moment of every day. The comforter is with you. So when you're in your hurt and heartache and pain, the comforter is there inside you. He's inside you. So when we hurt, we have this better connection with our Father in heaven. More help, more comfort than we could have expected. And guess what? It doesn't mean everything gets fixed. Like I would love if Jesus was like, hey guys, I'm gonna send you the fixer. He's gonna come in your life, clean it all up, Make it better and send you out. Like We wish that would happen, right? But it doesn't. Instead, he gives us a comforter. And, and that's why Johnny Erickson Tata, who herself is a quadriplegic, would write this. She says, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. She says that the more pain I experience, and it's real physical pain, I actually have greater access to our Father in heaven, the God of all comfort. His Holy Spirit comes inside me, and I feel more comfort, feel more love than ever before. It's like the hurt almost like sucks out a room for us to bring in the comfort. And that's what happens through the Holy Spirit inside of us. So when we are hurt, it actually connects us better to the comforter. And that's good because then when we receive it, we can pass it on and come into us and go out of us and through us. Look with me now at verse four again. It says that God comforts us in all our troubles so that, notice those two words, sometimes we skip over those words, so that, there's a purpose, right? You understand that? There's a purpose that you have been comforted. Why is it? We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Paul is saying there's a purpose. You have been hurt to receive comfort to help others who are hurting. It comes into you and passes through you. There's a purpose for your hurt. And this is really important for us to think through. My big idea today, if you haven't picked up on it, just come out and say it, is that you need to use your hurt to help others. 
You can write that down. Use your hurt to help others. So Paul is saying, this is what we got to do. The God of all comfort comforts us so we can help others. We get the comfort, we give the comfort. That's why he's even writing this letter of encouragement to this early church, to us in turn. Use your hurt to help others. And it's sometimes our deepest pain, our deepest hurts, our deepest griefs, that trauma from the past, that time you were abandoned, that things you look back and you're like, man, nobody should ever have to live through that. That moment, that period, that trial is actually maybe the best thing for you to go out now and help others. Rick Warren says, uh, you mo- your most effective ministry, helping others, serving others, will come out of your deepest hurts. I think he's right. You'll be able to help people way more from your hurt than from your accomplishments. We've got to use our hurt to help others. And this is important. Um, You know, in this brainwash series, every single Sunday night and Monday, I was like, man, I said way too much. I shared too much. People are going to think I'm a crazy pastor. They're going to lose respect for me. Nobody's coming back because I just shared about how I struggle with anger. Depression, I talked with Melissa. <laughs> She'd need to encourage me. Even yesterday, I said that to somebody in our church, and they were like, no, Matt, you've actually probably helped more from that. You know, like, I, you, sometimes you have the vulnerability hangover when you share something from yourself. Like, you ever, okay. That's what I had. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I shared too much. Nobody's going to like me. Because I've shared for my hurt, for my pain, what I've struggled with. But those are the things that actually can help the most. They can help other people. And it's amazing. Sometimes it's very specific, like, because Melissa and I have experienced a lot of infertility, we've been able to help other people who are struggling with infertility. Like, we know the, the trials that it's going through. We know what it feels like month after month, so we can talk about that. So there can be specific things. So when you think about your own hurt and trials, think about that. Like, what is my specific hurt that I can use to help people? What's my trial that is now my testimony that I can share with others? What's my pain that can now be my purpose? You should ask yourself, what is that specific thing? But one of the most amazing things is Paul doesn't just say, now that you've gone through infertility, you can help others in infertility. Did you notice what he said in verse 4, if we can go back there? In verse 4, he said, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There's something powerful about this. I think it was the psychologist Carl Rogers who said, that which is most personal is most universal. There's something about, it's like nobody else has had this specific trial, gone through this terrible thing that I went through. My pain is very specific. And yet, when I share it, it helps way more people than just those people who went through that specific trial. Okay? You see this? Those who have gone through any trouble can help those in any trouble, right? If you've gone through this and God has comforted you, you can help people in any trouble. This is amazing. So you don't have to just do the specific things. Like, it can be great. Like, if you're like, man, um, I I went through this thing. I didn't have this problem in my past, or I did have this problem in my past. I I didn't have any role models for me when I was a teenager. My parents abandoned me. I had nobody. So I want to go on Wednesday night to serve at Turbulence so I can be a role model because I didn't have one. Like, that can be an amazing thing. My hurt can help others. But sometimes you'll be amazed to find that it has nothing to do with the specific thing. It's like, I I just have to share my specific story, yes, and be vulnerable. But when I do that, I can help people in a way broader way than I ever imagined. So so think about the specific things. I've talked with a widow recently who's helping other widows. I I talked this morning with someone who just moved in to a senior living facility, so they're helping other people in the senior living facility. It's like, 
they're like, God has planted me there for a purpose, right? So those specific things God can lead to, to work in specific ways. But I'm just telling you, whatever your hurt is, identify it, understand it, and help others through it. Use your hurt to help others. And let me tell you this. You don't have to wait till you're totally healed. You don't. Some of you are like, I'm still hurting. I'm still in pain. I'm still depressed. Yes, you might be. But you don't have to fully get over it. You, in fact, for some things, we never get over. There's some hurt. There's some grief that's so deep that it keeps coming back. Just when you think you've conquered it, it's like it's back. But that doesn't mean we have to wait until we're fully healed to help others. In fact, Paul, later in this very same letter, would talk about a trial he experienced. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. And everybody tries to figure out what it is. I think it's on purpose that it's vague. We don't know, but it sucks. Can you imagine a thorn in your flesh? It's not feeling good. It says that three times he cried out to God for God to take it away, but he didn't. And then Jesus speaks to Paul. And I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the thing. When you are at your weakest, you can help more people because it's Christ's strength working through you. God is the one who has the power through you. This is why actually when you're vulnerable about your pain, your suffering, your trial, your past addiction, the things that you're struggling with, you actually help more people than had you just talked about your accomplishments. I, I taught that, uh, I teach over at Denver Seminary, and I was teaching some, some young preachers that, and I taught them this semester, like you have to actually share the things you're not good at, <laughs> that you struggle with. Because actually when you do that, you help more people. Your weaknesses or allow God to show up in bigger strength. Because people might admire your accomplishments, but they connect with you through your weaknesses. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, actually use your hurt to help others. They need it. Be vulnerable, help them. And if you're wondering, well, like, Matt, what's the period of sadness, grief, like getting over depression, anxiety? Like, it varies per person. I honestly think, like, for Job, he needed seven days of grief. And even those next 40 days, he's like, I ain't helping anybody. Like, there is a season that you are just so hurting that you maybe can't help in that moment. I, I get that. What I, what I kind of say, like, just wisdom-wise, like, share from a scar, not an open wound. You don't want to bleed on people, right? Seriously, like, but, but you can still be like, I'm still recovering. Like, sometimes I still need to clean it up because there's a little pus coming out. Like, you might still need to do that. <laughs> you like that image? Like, there might be times you have to do that in the midst of your hurt and pain. But don't wait until you're, like, fully healed and the scar's gone, because then you won't have anything to share. It's like, actually, we can still be hurting, still dealing with our stuff, and go out to help others. And, I, in fact, I think that's what we must do. Paul did it. He calls us to do it. And that's, in fact, what Jesus himself did for us, right? See, the very heart of what we believe as Christians is based around this principle. So if you think, well, my trauma is too bad. My hurt is too severe. My, what I went through is way worse than anybody else. You might be right. And yet, as bad as it is, God will use it for his purpose. It's what you're saved for. Because Jesus proves it. God's own son came down to live a pretty awful existence. If you think about it, he was born to an unwed teenage mom, which was 
Terrible in those days. Shameful. He worked hard with his hands. He was a blue-collar worker. And then when he did go out to serve people, people opposed him. They said all sorts of insults about him. They hated him. They persecuted him. And then his friends abandoned him. One of his closest friends betrayed him. And there they took him to suffer physically and even worse emotionally as they beat him, whipped him, and then put him up on a cross. And when Jesus was up on the cross, he knew that it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross. That he suffered to help us. That's why he gave his life for us. And if God can take that Someone who didn't deserve it, who was perfect, who had done nothing wrong, and yet he suffered. If God makes that happen, and he can turn it around, he can turn around your thing. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that God has power to make even the worst situations into something good. To take those grapes, crush them, and make new wine. And if God can do that through Jesus Christ, he can do that for you as well. See, Jesus, as the prophet Isaiah says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. That's the center of what we believe as followers of Jesus. And that's why you have power to say, yes, I am hurting. I've gone through some stuff. I've had trauma. And yet I can go out and now have a testimony to prove God's power. I have received a comfort and now I can be a comforter to others. The Holy Spirit's inside me, and I can help others too. My hurt is for a purpose, and so is yours. Use your hurt to help others. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we get crushed. We're pierced. We go through some terrible things. We look back in our life and say, why did that happen to me? Why am I still struggling with this? Am I the only one who has to deal with this stuff in my head? Lord God, you are calling us today to get out of our heads. To realize all that hurt is actually for a purpose. That you can use it for something good to help others. Reveal that to us. Help us see clearly, whether it's a specific way or just more generally, that we need to go serve. We need to start helping. We need to stop focusing on ourselves and realize my life is best when it's used for other people. Lord God, use us for your purpose and your kingdom. Now, with eyes closed, I want to tell you that some of you in here maybe haven't made the decision to follow Jesus yet. And Jesus died in your place for your sins. And even though you don't deserve it, he did save you from your sin and from death. But you have to receive it. And even more so, he saved you for a purpose to go out and do something so much more important than anything you think you could do with your life. You are saved for good. And if that resonates with you today, maybe you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today. So I'm going to give a simple prayer that you can say because it says in the scriptures, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from sin and saved for a purpose. So I want you to receive that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud. Repeat after me so you can give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Let's pray together. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me, forgive me, heal me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your comforter.
and help me to follow you and help others. Now, if you prayed that that prayer for the first time, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we just want to celebrate with you. Everybody's eyes are closed, but I want you to put your hand in the air on the count of three, and and we're going to have somebody come and give you a book. So on the count of three, if you pray that prayer for the first time, let's celebrate. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air. Praise God. I see a couple hands over here on this side. A couple hands over here. Keep Here's three over here. Praise God. Let's celebrate with those. I see four hands. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you save us, not just from sin. Yes, you forgive us as that free gift, but you save us for a purpose. You have called us to something so much greater than ourselves. Help us to go out and to serve and to love and that we can be your gift to mankind. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and turn our crushed grapes into wine. Help our hurt that we can go help others. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.